Matthew chapter 5. We'll start here again in verse number 1. And seeing the multitudes, he went up into a mountain, and when he was set, his disciples came unto him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you, and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my name's sake. Rejoice and be exceeding glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. Let's pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, we... Thank you for the opportunity to be gathered together in your house. Lord, we look around and see that many are not here this evening, Lord, but our desire, Lord, is that you strengthen them, whatever their need may be, whether it's a physical ailment, whether it's a spiritual ailment, whatever is afflicting them in their life, Lord, uh, preventing them to come together and worship with you, Lord, we pray. Uh, that you'll help them and strengthen them, Lord. I pray that you'll uh, be with the request that was lifted up here in the prayer hour, Lord. And also, thank you, thank you, thank you for the answered prayers. Thank you for hearing our supplications, Lord, as we cry out to you, Lord. I know that even some have been lifted up to you for continual problems people who have been faithful to this work and faithful to you for many years. We trust their health in your hands, Lord, uh, but we request that, um, you know, our, our request is it's shallow at times because we do not understand fully what you're doing. But we do know this, that in all things, our desire is for your name to be magnified. Lord, I pray that you'll be with those who are having surgical procedures tomorrow. And be with those, uh, Brother Tommy Gorman specifically, as he's um, battling, where he's been battling, Lord. And we thank you for where he has come from to where he is now. Uh, we thank you for being a God who answers prayers. Be with us this evening as we continue to endeavor to understand these beatitudes. They're deep, they're rich. And they're sometimes beyond our full ability to grasp. But yet there is a marker set before us, like we've seen this evening. Blessed are the pure in heart. Lord, we give thanks to you for what you've done in Jesus' name. Amen. We've really been challenged as we've been looking at the Beatitudes about what it really takes to be happy. We all have a desire to be happy, I suppose, right? 
many of us could say that as we've lived our lives up to this point, we've experienced highs and lows of happy. We were happy when maybe when we got our new jobs. Now we don't like our job. Happy when we got our raises. Happy when we got promotions, new homes, new cars, new kids, new grandkids. You know, but the truth is, is that not long after we experience these gifts, whether it's a car or home, not too long down the road, the car starts to break down, the joy wears off. We're excited about kids and they start giving you problems and the joy that you experienced when you held them in your arms quickly wears off. Happiness in this life seems to quickly flee us. But what is presented to us here in the Beatitudes is a state of eternal happiness. That it's possible to be happy in this world at all times. Now, where this is conflict or contradictory to our human thought process is that the recipe that the Lord gives us to be eternally happy is not from an outward experience, but it is the results of an inward experience. The kind of happiness that we experience here that what is often referred to as Jacob's ladder, that the more we dive into understanding the Beatitudes, the clearer heaven is to us. The Lord is saying to the church, then he's saying to those who stood around and heard him deliver this message that it is possible to be eternally happy. So as we've seen so far, as the Lord begins to offer this lesson to the church, he says, if you want to be eternally happy, if you want to be happy, you first have to realize that what you need is not inside of you. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Even more, he says that if you want to be happy, you have to second realize that what you need is not inside of you, but you have to be ready to mourn over what is inside of you. Thirdly, he says that not only do you have to be willing to mourn over what is inside of you, but you have to have the right spirit in how you handle it. Blessed are the meek. And after we have the right spirit, after we're weeping over sin, after we have the right attitude, he says, then we have to have the right appetites, hunger and thirst after righteousness. And then if you want to be happy, he said, as we've seen this past Sunday, blessed are the merciful. Blessed are those who look upon those in this world who's battling addiction, battling sin. Blessed are the people. Blessed are my children who look upon those people and take great pity because we understand what it means to be captive to the prince and the power of the air. Blessed are those who are not judgmental about people who are battling sin, but are merciful, understanding what they need is the gospel message. 
a message that is a message of God's mercy upon this fallen world. But the Lord takes it further. Blessed, he says this evening, are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. What a promise. Blessed are the pure in heart. Uh, we've covered this already as we begin to study the Beatitudes, but the Lord is addressing Israel, but he's not only addressing Israel, but he's speaking into the ear of the disciples. But here the, the, the Israel had long awaited for the Messiah. This is what they wanted. They longed for a Messiah to come and be the conqueror, to deliver them from oppression, to deliver them from the captivity in that they had in Rome, to deliver them from the captivity of all these leaders. I mean, you could really say for the last several hundred years up to this point, Israel had not had the opportunity to prosper economically. They didn't have the opportunity to be independent. They never had the opportunity to conquer all that God had given them, and they desired it. But yet as the Lord addresses them here in this message, he says the greatest problem you do not have that you have, the greatest problem you have is not from economic depression. It's not from foreign oppression. He said the greatest problem you have is that you are spiritually weak. There's something wrong inside of you. According to Israel, these Pharisees had come up with so many traditions at this point in time that the traditions of the Pharisees had overtook the authority of Scripture. You see, religion had become about the physical instead of the internal. It was the external, not the internal. It was about works. It wasn't about righteousness. The Lord said, the reason that you're so unhappy it's because on the external, you're doing everything that they said, but your internal is a garbage pit. Blessed are the pure in heart. How many of us know that God is not looking on the outward man? This is the whole problem. Blessed are the pure in heart. God is not looking about what you write on your tithing envelope. Really, I mean, he's not. He can see it. God could care less at times about your attendance to the church. He could care less in the attendance, your attendance to the choir, because the Lord's concern throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament alike, the Lord's concern has always been about the heart of the believer. This is not just a New Testament teaching. The word heart here comes from the word cardia. We, under, we can hear our English word there, cardiac. Though in mostly in our terms today, when we hear the word heart, we think about that organ that's pumping blood all throughout our body. 
But the emphasis and the relation here that's given to us in the New Testament, the heart wasn't just an organ in your body. The heart was a kind of the seed of the emotion. It was the uh, the power source of the inner man. Whatever was determined to be in the heart, it was manifested on the external. So when your heart is right with the Lord, the reason the Lord is focused on the heart, when your heart is right with the Lord, your tithing envelope will be right. When your heart is right with the Lord, your church attendance will be right. You see, it's the internal affects the external. And though we see, like I said, it's often in this society used as the organ through Scripture, it is metaphorically used to reference the inner man. Proverbs chapter 23 and verse 20, or 23 and verse 7, it says, As a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. Matthew chapter 9 and verse number 4, the Bible says, And Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said, Wherefore think ye evil in your hearts? You see, the relation of the heart is the seed of the thought process. What is inside of your heart? He says, Why thinketh, or wherefore seek ye evil in your hearts? What the Lord is saying here is, happy is the man who's not just doing church. Happy is the man who's not just doing religion. Happy is the man who's not turned this faith into some kind of physical practice. But happy is the man whose heart is pure in seeking the Lord. They are here because they are hungering and thirsting to meet with God. They are here because they have a desire to worship God. Blessed are those people. Happy are those people who their desire inside of them is to see the Lord. Even more, we understand that God looks upon the heart. When you go back to Genesis it is made clear that when God looked down from heaven in Genesis chapter 6 and verse 5, and the Bible says that, and God saw the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that the imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. The Lord's position on the heart is still the same, but he tells this generation, you've left Scripture. Traditions won't make you happy. Physical deliverance from Rome will not make you happy. But happy is the man whose heart is pure. Now, Israel would hear this teaching and reject it. Many commentators and scholars, much smarter than I, believe that it was this sermon on the mount here, this, this, this sermon that was delivered here that began to turn Israel's hearts against the Lord. But even more, Proverbs chapter 4, we know what it says here. Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23. It says, keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. Evil ways and deeds begin in the heart and mind, which they are used here in this verse synonymously. 
Matthew chapter 15 and verse 19, Jesus said, For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witnesses, slanders. These are the things which defile a man. God has always been concerned with the heart of man, what's inside the man. But here he calls for what about the heart of man? He calls for man's heart to be pure. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Now, this word pure here comes from the Greek word katharos. Now, in our language, it doesn't really translate to anything, but it was a common word used in the metal industry. So, the word means to, not as like we would often reference that of gold, but the process of catharos was that when you would, whatever metal you was dealing with, catharos was the process in which the filth, the dirt, the nastiness was removed from the what they used was aluminum or whatever it was, brass. They would use this process of removing the filth from the metal so that they would have pure metal. It is to say that after this process happens, you're left with metal, metal that's unadulterated, no filth, no contamination, no dirt, no nothing at all. So the Lord calls for them to have a pure heart, a heart that's not contaminated with filth, dirt, sin, not to have a heart that's divided, this is what he's really calling for them, a single-minded heart. We've already understood this even in the book of James or just from common reading and our own understanding that the Bible says that no man can serve two masters. And if we're honest with ourselves, when we find ourselves battling the flesh and the spirits of life, we are far from happy either. No man can serve two masters and be happy. He will either love the one and despise the other or hold to the one. You cannot serve God and mammon. You cannot be happy and love the world. You cannot be happy and love the things in the world. James chapter 4 and verse 4 says that friendship with the world is enmity with God. And in that book, he would continue to write the believers, believers here and challenge them to, in verse number 8 of James chapter 4, he would tell them to cleanse their hands and purify their hearts, ye double-minded. If we're going to be happy, when he says here, blessed are the pure in heart, it is to say, in order for you to be happy, you have to be willing to let go of the world. It is to say, if you're going to be happy, you have to be willing to let go of the things in the world. Now, the clear illustration, the clear understanding for us when he says, blessed are the pure in heart. Why is this so important? Why is it so important to be pure in heart? Is it important to be pure in heart because that's what your brother sees? Is that important to be? Uh, is it important to be pure in heart because that's what your sisters in the Lord see? 
Is it important to be pure in heart because that's what your spouse sees? No. It's important to be pure in heart because God looketh upon the heart. Verse Samuel chapter 16 and verse 7, God sent Samuel to go to the house of Jesse to select a man. He said, I have found a king in the house of Jesse. But when Samuel arrived there, God would have a powwow with Samuel and said, Samuel, do not look on the outward appearance. Don't look at his countenance. Don't look at his stature. But I have chosen a man after my own heart. God looks upon the heart of man. So we see even further here that not only God looks upon the heart, but we understand it should be the greatest desire of every believer to have a pure heart, to have a heart that's single-minded in desiring to be in relationship with the Lord. It is our constant longing in this life to be without sin, is it not? We're tired of battling it. This is what Paul even emphasized in Romans chapter 7. He said, I am sick of sin. Even when I try to do good, evil is present with me. Yet I have understood, I've come to this understanding that even though I try to do good, evil is present with me. That's what I don't want to do. That's what I do. But I recognize that in me there is this will, this desire to draw closer to God, this desire to serve God. We, re, we relate with this desire. What Paul was saying is there is that his desire was to be pure in heart. His desire was that he would be free from sin, relieved from the contamination, relieved from the filth. He was tired of battling this old flesh. His heart wanted to have an uninterrupted fellowship with the Lord. Blessed are the pure in heart. Man, happy are those people who have been able to put away sin so that their relationship is not hindered. Happy are those people who have been able to draw closer to the Lord because the prince and the power of the air have not blinded their eyes with sin, hindered their fellowship because of sin. Happy are those, blessed are the pure in heart. So what do we do? If this is what it means that happy is the person who's pure in heart, how do we get pure in heart? I mean, what do we do here to have this relationship with the Lord? Well, first thing we need to do is we need to get serious about sin in our life. <laughs> now, serious, I mean, we, we have to approach sin with, and with, sincereness, uh, with seriousness and also sincerity. I know plenty of people, maybe we're guilty of this even in our own life, where we know something's wrong, but we do it anyways. Ah, I'm just going to do this. We have the understanding that it's wrong, but we don't have the sincerity that this sin hinders our fellowship with the Lord. And since we're not serious and since we're not sincere, we cause problems in our own spiritual life. Now also understand that sincerity 
is not everything. You can see from the outside, people may be sincere about that which they do and be way off course. If you read the book of Kings, when you arrive there, I think it was out Mount Carmel where Elijah was there with the prophets of Baal. The prophets of Baal seemed really sincere about what they were doing, did they not? They were weeping. They were crying. They had got so sincere about what they were doing. They were cutting themselves. Matter of fact, their sincerity was so sincere that they would end up losing their life over their foolishness. But with all of that sincerity, with all of that um, commitment, they were worthless actions and even more they were sinful. Over in Rome, it was just, uh, it was actually an article that they posted for uh, vacations. Like, Go have the opportunity, explore Rome, crawl, uh, 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 see the holy stairs. Well, I was curious, what's holy stairs, you know? So I looked it up, and all these people were climbing up the holy stairs on their knees with a desire to get to the top and have a closer relationship with the Lord. All it looked like was agonizing pain to me. But it was an action, but it's a worthless action. Yes, it may look sincere that these people are going up all these stairs to arrive at this place, that they're more committed to the Lord, but it's worthless. It's altogether worthless. It's a physical action that does not truly display the heart of man. We understand what Jeremiah says, the heart is deceit, uh, deceitful and, des- and above all things desperately wicked. Who can know it? We don't trust our hearts because they're wicked. But even more, these physical actions, they mean nothing. But even more, we know that, um, so we have to be serious about sin. We have to be sincere about not letting anything interrupt our spiritual Life, true devotion is to be pure in heart. This happens on the inside. Now, this is, this is the great news about our Lord and Savior. This is the great news about God. What God requires of us, he also provides a way for what he demands. Blessed are the pure in heart as the Lord ascended into heaven. John chapter 14 and verse 6, we had heard the wonderful news that there was a comforter that would be sent to us. We would have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Now this Holy Spirit, not only does he take up residence inside of us, but his purpose inside of us is not only to bring us comfort, but he convicts us of our sins. He brings us to the understanding of things that we are doing wrong. So even more, being pure in heart is also relying on the power that was given to us in the Holy Spirit. We alone do not have the power to overcome sin. Proverbs 20 and verse 9 says, Who can say that I have made my heart clean and I am pure from my sins? Who can say that? We can't. We don't have the power to overcome sin in our own flesh, 
but through the Holy Spirit indwelling in us, we have the power to say no to sin. Even more, uh, Jeremiah said in a different manner, he thought about this same question about can we change our own ways? But Jeremiah said, can a leper change his spots? No, not even at salvation could we do this ourselves. But even more, as we continue to serve the Lord, we are in desperate need of the Lord, not only in uh, being sincere about seeking him to remove this sin from our lives, not in only in seeking him and being poor in spirit and mourning over sin and hungering for his word, but even more that we seek him in his word, even more that we uh, have a heart that is open to the indwelling, uh, open to hearing the convicting power of the Holy Spirit. I think I said that right. Yeah. So even more. You know, I had a, well, we, I would say we have a friend. He's not here, so I won't confirm or deny who it is. But he may not be here tonight. He might be in Alabama on vacation, and he might teach the youth class. But for, he had me laughing because for the last six or seven weeks, he has been every Monday night putting together this buffet for his mom. And he almost roped me into it a couple times. But it started to go down so fast that I was scared to be involved in it because my name would be attached to this masterpiece. But on several different occasions, he would call me and say, man, this thing is wobbly, it's weak. And then the next week he called me and said, I used the wrong screws. And then the next week he called me and said, I got longer screws. I said, how'd that turn out? He said, I came out the side of the buffet. And it was a continual thing until I think it was two weeks ago we finished. But right before he finished, I said, man, you've been using the manual? He said, he laughed. He said, no, but I sure should have. It, you know, I'm guilty of the same thing more than once. But when it comes to grabbing a hold of this, blessed are the pure in heart. It is impossible it is impossible to have a pure heart apart from God's manual. It's impossible. You're going to have screws busting out the side. What you build is going to be wobbly. There's not going to be no foundation. There's not going to be no structure. There's not going to be no strength in your spiritual life. You will not be strengthened apart to, of, from God's word to even overcome sin. Lastly, not only do we need God's word, not only do we need to be sincere about uh, separating ourselves from sin, but we need to pray like the psalmist prayed, create in me, O Lord, a clean heart. Psalms 51 and verse 10. Oh God, I think he goes on to say, and renew within me a new spirit. This prayer life is important to moving forward and being pure in heart. When we live with a purified heart, our promise is given here. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Notice how this verse ends here. They shall, what? See God. Now this is 
a massive lesson on present tense, future tense, but I'm just going to skip all that to say that this has a twofold meaning. It is to say that blessed are the pure in heart for they shall see God that is future indicative. It's they, for those who are wholeheartedly, truly seeking after God and not caught up in man-made religion, like he was trying to emphasize to them what the Pharisees have and the Sadducees have. For those people who are truly seeking after me, the promise is in the future, they shall see God. But it's even more than that. It is also to say that for those who are pure in heart, they shall continue in a continuational tense, meaning that those who are pure in heart in this earth, they will continue to see God, not with a physical eye, but with this purified heart, we will continually see him. We will comprehend him. We will understand his working in our lives. We will realize that he is here with us, that he is amongst us, that he's even here gathered with us this evening. For those who are pure in heart, they are sensitive to God's presence in their life. Understand, this has been the greatest longing throughout all of Scripture, New Testament and Old Testament alike. For those who have grown closer to the Lord, what did they want? They wanted to see God. Moses said, show me thy glory. As Moses had got this closer relationship with the Lord, he had begin to, begun to walk in so close with the Lord that he just wanted to see him. Even more, you can think about this, that David said in, in the 42nd Psalm, after he had walked with the Lord so much, he said, oh, every day and night, all I can do is my heart is panting and thirsting for you. I want to see you. Philip in the New Testament said, can we see God? Can we see our Father? This is the desires of those who are pure in heart. They want to and long to the long for the day where they'll see God. For us who are saved here, we long to see God. And the longer we serve him here on earth and the closer our relationship with him here on earth stirs up a greater desire in us for the future tense of this promise. But it also is indicating a present tense promise. We will see God working in our life when we're hungering and thirsting after him, when we're serious about forsaking sin and serious about following after him, serious about getting in his word, serious about praying, serious about all those things, you will see God working in your life. What a promise. It is to say that to the, to the disciples, I mean, as they heard here, I mean, they grasped a hold of this probably much quicker than we did at times because we're trying to find out this meaning about purifying and these different things. But what a striking verse to hear to their hearts. Put away the world. 
Get serious about me. Put away the things that's hindering you from walking closer to me. Put away sin. Just put it away. Put it away. Seek me. Follow me. Follow my word. Pray. If you can just do all those things, you're going to see God work in your life. I mean, what a promise. For they shall see God. Job, I think, it was how many chapters are in Job? 41? I thought it was in the 42nd chapter. That's all right. At the end of the book of Job, one of my favorite parts about the end of the book of Job, when you get to the end of Job, after all the troubles, after all the problems that Job experienced in his life, you get to the very end. He said, uh, I, I had heard, that's ah, 42. But after all the problems he had and experienced, he said, I had heard all these things, but now my eyes see thee. And I think that is the big thing for us in our lives. Even when we experience troubles in our life, if we would just put all those things aside and still wholeheartedly seek the Lord, it will be the same as Job. We've heard about you, <laughs> but now I see you all the more clearly working in my life. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Let's pray. Our gracious heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for this opportunity to be in your house again and, and read of this great promise and this great challenge. Lord, I pray that you'll stir in each and every one of our hearts a desire to clean out the things that do uh, hinder our walk with you, to protect our time with you, to get in your word and recognize we are not going to have spiritual victories a part of um, your word, a part of prayer, a part of the spirit working in us, Lord. Lord, help us to, as Paul told them in um, the, the book of Galatians, Lord, that uh, to strengthen the inner man. Lord, I pray that you'll strengthen our inner man, our, our spirit, Lord, that as we follow after you, that our eyes may not lock a hold of the things of this world, that our greatest desire will be to see you work in our life. To, that we see all the more clearly that no matter what we're experiencing in our lives, that we can see your hand guiding us through, navigating us through safely. Oh, Lord, I pray that you'll refresh our hearts again. We give thanks to you for all that you've done. In Jesus' name, amen.